is I, this is a hill. I mean, this is this along with squibs is a hill we should die on. Is the um, title song? Yes. Any movie? I mean, they tried it. You know, they brought in Huey Lewis for Pineapple Express mm-hmm. about ten years ago, and I knew that. They, you know, Rogan and Goldberg, they're about my age, so I have a feeling they have the same nostalgia for um, songs that reference the movie and perhaps even give plot points to the movie within the lyrics of the song. Yeah. Like, just imagine how much better, like, Tommaso, Tommaso, he's a guy living in Italy. Yeah, who's, who, okay, so is, um, I mean, like, I guess, like, Neil Young would be, like, an obvious choice for Tommaso's theme. Yes. But, I mean, like, you know, there's a, there's a few options. I think you have to get, you definitely have to get, like, a 60-plus-year-old rock and roller who's seen, yeah. who's seen a little too much. <laughs> he, he would really feel Tommaso's story. Yeah. And, it, and I say he, and I mean he. It's definitely not a lady oh, singer. It's not a lady, yeah. No, a Sammy Hagar type, if you will. Yeah, no. yeah Sammy Hagar, David Lee Roth. Um, <laughs> all fine Tommaso! Options. Tommaso! <laughs> Tommaso! Oh, 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 oh! Yeah, like Abel Ferrara goes to meet with David Lee Roth, and he's like, I saw Tommaso and it, I am Tommaso. <laughs> David, David Lee Roth probably does think he's Tommaso a little bit. I, you know, for <laughs> I one, and Willem Dafoe is so awesome, and we will get to that you yeah. know, in an hour or something. But um, much like Danzig playing the part of Wolverine instead of Hugh Jackman, I would be willing to risk quality over just like... <laughs> The surreal nature of that. David Lee Roth is Tommaso. (laughs) David Lee Roth is Tommaso. Uh... Hello, and welcome to the Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Gremion. Welcome to the Academy. And, you know, we're digressing this week. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I think... You got to put it up to Morbius. He's he's knocked us off of our axis. Yeah, he's you know he he's, stole our hearts. Morbius stole our hearts. I don't know if you saw the um, Variety headline. Uh, it was "I want to watch your movie," which um, oh, whoever wrote that should be put in the gallows. Or, you know, yeah. Or, or, you know, like yeah, locked up. Put him in Arkham. <laughs> with Morbius. Be, yeah, set him to a meeting with the martial arts guy from uh, Fear City. <laughs> I must watch a movie. Oh, well, we're not talking Morbius this week. Uh, although we are talking the underworld. Mm, the seedier yeah. side of cinema. The, the Morbius part of New York, perhaps. Yes, certainly. I mean, you yeah. know, you half expect Morbius to be there at that strip club that yeah, seems are, to yeah. charge Largo prices to get in (laughs) yeah it's like it's built like a theater like this strip club's a theater (laughs) yeah yeah and like melody griffith is literally causing men to have aneurysms yeah on the spot (laughs) grueling babies it's just uh they're just having like they're just uh finishing and dying immediately like their hearts can't handle it so, of course, we're talking this week, as you can see in the title of the episode, and we alluded to last week, Gritty New York, Independent King, Abel Ferrara. Um, incep- the inception point for this episode is, of course, King of New York, uh, which our, our beloved Wesley Snipes 
co-stars in. Mm -hmm. But uh, Patrick and I, over the course of talking about King of New York often and talking about Abel Ferrara often, Mm -hmm. we were like, we have to be a little indulgent this week and just take a deep dive into a guy who's, boy, upon this deep dive, I mean, I watched five Ferrara (laughs) movies in like super close succession. That's like, I need to consult with a doctor. I know, but I bet you go probably because now I need to go to like a meeting with Tommaso to talk about my, how much I want to watch more Abel Ferrara movies. Yeah. You need to go to that, that Roman, you need to move to Rome and go to that Roman AA. Hippest AA meeting hall of all time. Yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. You've got Tommaso. You got Tommaso. The Scottish um, guy. Yeah, the combination of Scottish and Italian drunks and like European babes is kind of the the rest of the people who go to Tommaso's meetings. Isn't that weird? Like, is he Dutch? What was that one dude like with the tattoos? It was like, yeah, man. It was awesome, and I yeah. wonder. Actually, I do wonder. We'll talk about it. We're we're obviously very high at Tommaso, but yeah. um, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. But I do wonder if those are actually people who go to Abel's AA meetings. I in Rome. think they are. I bet I, they are. I yeah, are. I think that's yeah. like his legit. I like, think that's legit. His legit yeah. AA group. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so Abel Ferrara is a New York red filmmaker from the Bronx, born July 19th, 1951. He's 70 years young right now, mm-hmm. turning 71. Or, yeah, 71 later this year. Wow. Um, of Italian and Irish descent, raised Catholic, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wonder what gave that, what gave the, uh, what tipped you off to that? Yeah. What tipped you off to that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he attended film conservatory at SUNY Purchase and he directed several short films. He also studied at the San Francisco Art Institute. Um, he directed a number of shorts, trying to find his way in. And his first feature film, using a pseudonym, he directed a porno film. So this is kind of the way things start for Abel. I'm going Mm -hmm. to say the name of this film once and only once because I am not comfortable saying the title of this film. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But it does need to be said. It's called Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy. Um, He starred in it as well with his then girlfriend and uh, uh, of course (laughs) he uh, stepped up. He performed. I've not seen this movie. Mm -hmm. Plan on it. Even yeah. am, I, am I able to deep dive? I, I don't think so. Um, mm-hmm. And his girlfriend, who played the lead, and this is his quote about the film: "It's bad enough paying a guy two hundred bucks to fuck your girlfriend, then he can't get it up." <laughs> um, huh. So yeah, you know. Like, I mean, uh, it's interesting that that's like a recurring theme, kind of in his. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're right, you're absolutely right because this idea of um, insecure masculinity. Mm-hmm. will pop up again over the course of our journey through Abel's yeah. career of this episode. <laughs> um, Drew, his second film, though, kind of is what put him on the map as <laughs> in a certain sub- subset of film goers as someone to watch, which is, of course, 1979's The Driller Killer. Mm. Um, urban slasher film where he plays the titular driller killer himself who goes on a killing spree with the power drill. <laughs> made the video nasties in england and uh to this day banger good mm-hmm. movie his next film though is kind of his first true in my opinion his first true classic 1981's miss 45 
Mm. Um, this is a rough movie. If you have not seen it, I'll just like, I'm yeah. going to praise it here, but for those with who are sensitive, this is a tough, tough movie. Um, basically, a young mute woman is assaulted twice in one day, which leads her to going on a revenge spree against men and anyone who has done her wrong all across mm. New York. And by the end, she is dressed as a nun while she's doing so. Um, <laughs> That's a by, lot. There's a lot going on. Played by Zoe Lund or Zoe Tamerless, who also co-wrote the film. Oh, with interesting. Abel. And um, very like, very, very, or did, I'm sorry, Nicholas St. John wrote that one, but uh, she co-wrote Bad Lieutenant later on. Um, oh, okay, interestingly okay. enough. And a very kind of like classic, New York scenester. I reckon she's fascinating. And after you see her in this movie, you're, you're not really going to forget her. <laughs> um, uh, and she doesn't say a word that the movie. She's mute. Uh, you know what? Uh, just the credit, Abel, Abel for uh, like for all of the sleaziness and um, insanity his films um, kind of like all for all the crazy themes mm-hmm. his films tackle, there is like this weird like egalitarian nature to his sin it seems like i don't know like it seems like uh everyone kind of gets to have their say their weird piece in his movies yeah all their flaws yeah yeah and i think it's he's like very and it might be because he because we'll learn later on as these later films progress his kind of like i think his regret and his guilt Mm -hmm. are always present which I think actually leads him to a strange kind of nihilistic humanism, if that makes sense, uh, <laughs> where he, he, he has empathy for the, the lost, the scummy, the, mm-hmm. the people who didn't quite get over into the polite society, I guess. Because yeah. he himself does not see himself a member of polite society. And I think, you know, when we get to Tommaso, it literally is about a guy who has never been a member of polite society, desperately trying to be a part of polite society and not doing a great job at it. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously, like, getting into Ferrara's movies, even with these first three, there is this element of, like, we have to, like, he is an artist that is meant to be kind of dealt with warts and all. He's putting it all in front of you. Mm-hmm. He's definitely does not fit into the modern kind of um, virtuous, independent, and mainstream filmmakers. Yeah, on you the scene, you, you get this sense from him that, like, if he were to make, for example, like a superhero movie or like a bat, like if he were to make a Batman movie, it would basically be zeros and ones. Like that's as close as you would get. Yeah, <laughs> and he'd like- be really like. Concerned with like Batman's guilt over being a vigilante in general. Yeah, like, and, like, he, like yeah, he and like and he he doesn't he he doesn't um. I feels like, and I think what's impressive about his work is you get the sense that it doesn't really bend towards um. Yeah, he he is, he's an outsider. He's like yeah. an uh, yeah. He's an outsider artist. Yeah, despite kind of being in the same universe is the Scorsese's and De Palma's of the world he does take it one step further mm-hmm. than they do yeah even, yeah and he hasn't really shown a huge deal of interest in even 
compromising. Exactly. A yeah. huge deal at all. He's done a few things. And we'll talk about them in a bit because there are some he's got some pretty famous fans, including Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Um, but after Miss 45, which, you know, was very provocative, very, you know, discussed film mm-hmm. for a Grindhouse movie. Um, he was hired to direct a film called Fear City in 1984. And Fear City is, of course... Patrick's choice. Yeah. For this episode. So we're going to be going in chronological order here. So 1984, Fear City, directed by Abel Ferrara, written by Nicholas St. John, uh, one of the key collaborators to Abel throughout a great deal of his career. Uh, it should be noted Joe Delia, who does the music for Fear City, did the music for Zeros and Ones. He has worked with Abel pretty much all the way through. Um, Bangin' lead uh, theme song too by Joe Delia and David Johansson. Yeah, one of the great 80s intros this movie has. Yeah, and um, I mean, so basically this film stars Tom Berenger of, you know, of course, of Major League, Billy Mm -hmm. D. Williams, Jack Scalia, Melanie Griffith, uh, right after Body Double. And I think I heard some stories that she really, really was concerned about being typecast. Ooh, yeah, these two in a row, and I could see where she was coming from with that. Um, because you know, she plays hardened sex workers in both films who kind of have their own, they, they are confident, but it's certainly both films. Both films are great, but both films feel a little exploitive, toward yeah, definitely <laughs> exploitative, yeah, a little seamy, yeah, yeah. Uh, also co-starring are Michael Vigazzo of Godfather Part Two, uh, bringing bringing the thunder in this one. <laughs> uh, Ray Don Chan, who um, many people know as uh, Schwarzenegger's co-star from Commando, Ooh. goes on the adventure with him, and uh, Janet Julian, who actually is in um, King of New York shortly here as well. Uh, the film was released July eighteenth, nineteen eighty four, in France. July sixteenth, nineteen eighty five, in the U.S. I don't know why. There was the delay. Um, God only knows what it made at the box office. We have no numbers. <laughs> Just moths. It made moths. Yeah, moths. Who knows? It um, <laughs> received mixed reviews from the critics, 67% on Rotten Tomato. Um, Janet Maslin of the New York Times said, Fear City also showcases Mr. Farrar's skills with action scenes and nonverbal narration. Mr. Ferrara's visual talent for the unexpected is not matched by an equivalent gift for character development. <laughs> but Fear City doesn't attempt to make personality its strong suit. Its biggest selling points, quick pacing, and a bright, hard-edged look are much as the genre requires. Uh, Gene Siskel criticized the soulfulness of the characters. Fear City is concerned only with surface thrills, exotic dancers, the martial arts, knife attacks, and knockout punches. Well, Gene, those surface thrills... Get my ass in the seat. They're pretty good. <laughs> They're pretty good. <laughs> they uh, kind of rule. <laughs> yeah, no, and like, yeah, I get those are fair critiques. Um, yes. Although it's an exploitation I, movie. It oh, is. 100%. But like, I I actually will say that I I like Tom Berenger's performance in this movie. I think He's trying he, stuff. He's yeah. really trying stuff. And I think that his character is supposed to be kind of taciturn. Mm-hmm. And that's like his reaction to what happened in his past. He doesn't know how to like, you know, he doesn't know how to uh, digest what he went through. 
Yeah. And that, you know, well, he's, kind I of, think, he, he's street smart, but he's dumb. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think that Behringer plays that well. I think Behringer and Melanie Griffith look like a billion dollars together. Like, oh, yeah. No, what a hot I, 80s couple that is. <laughs> I, I wrote down something in my notes. One line, like, these are like the two hunkiest people. It's insane. Like, yeah. Man, they <laughs> like they're... 1984, the two of them look pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basic storyline, best friends, Matt Rossi and Nikki Parzano, played by Behringer and Jack Scalia. One appears to be an Italian guy. One is definitely not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they run a management company for Manhattan's best exotic dancers booking them across the borough uh rossi uh who is Barringer, was once in a relationship with top of the line the top gal in the mm-hmm. biz loretta played by melanie griffith they broke it up because rossi kill- was is also an ex-boxer and he killed an opponent in the ring and he's still grappling with that he's left him emotionally barren yeah. loretta still cares for him but she's moved on into a lesbian relationship with Layla, played by yeah. Ray Donchon. <laughs> very nonchalant lesbian. Very relationship. nonchalant yeah. lesbian. I actually kind of respect that they don't really like address it in any way. F- like, no, it's just part of the scene. Yeah. And it's great. It's terrific. <laughs> but one night, one of the dancers in who's part of who is represented by Rossi and Perzeno is mm-hmm. brutally assaulted in a very strange attack. I do love the way that Ferrara never shies in just showing the bad guy. There's yeah. no mystery in this movie who the bad guy is, which is kind of exciting. Because it's like, yeah. oh, like the mystery is because they, they give no background on him at all. So he's just kind of this mystery psycho, but you see him and you kind of like, if when he pops out of the shadows, you know somebody's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um they immediate so Rossi and Prozeno go in kind of their own kind of side investigation on what's going on. Meanwhile, Vice Detective Al Wheeler, played by the god Billy D. Williams, <laughs> is in the mix. He hates these guys. Yeah. Hates oh, them. Man. Yeah. Thinks they're scum. Uh, a lot of anti-Italian slurs thrown yeah, he, around. He not like Italian people. Yeah. <laughs> he has a general, general disdain for Italians. General it's disdain just... for the Italians. <laughs> and then meanwhile, there's another attack. And unfortunately, it's Layla, Loretta's lover. Mm. Bringing everything in. Stuff starts going down. More attacks. Every, uh, Loretta's thrown. She falls off the wagon and goes back into heroin because she's so depressed about what happened to Layla. Berenger wants to emo- reveal himself emotionally because he's still in love with Loretta. He buys her gifts. Uh, Nick pa- Nikki Parzano is just kind of Berenger's friend who just wants to shoot the bad guy. Yeah. I do like this idea that it's like, everyone's like, Berenger, at the end of the day, you're going to have to kill this guy. You can't rely on the cops. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Nothing legal is going to happen here. You have to kill him. Yeah. And- because it's, it's an exploitation movie. Of course you have he has to, to kill him. Yep, and you have to train. You have to get ready to kill this guy. Okay, so that so here we go. So what we need to know about the bad guy. So at first he shows up, he's like waving around a blade, and it's kind of weird. It's like a box cutter, but it's like weird. He's doing these like twirly-whirly moves. A lot of like hand he's, motions, a lot yeah, of strange. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of pomp and circumstance going into these murders. Yeah. But then we cut to his gigantic manhattan dojo yes does he live in this like is it a warehouse is it, it an apartment he, he's writing some paul schrader-esque diary to himself about <laughs> entitled fear city which is awesome oh he has totally. an immaculate desk by the way that's yeah. like the one piece of furniture in this entire dojo setup 
And so we learn not only is he a psychopath, he's writing a journal about his murderous rampage entitled Fear City. Mm-hmm. Is the movie based on the journal? We don't know. Yeah. Oh, I, I, can, I wrote down what he, uh, the one part he, uh, he said out loud after he killed, uh, or not killed, almost killed Layla. He Who goes, unfortunately he, does die toward the end. Mm, that is true. I forgot. Really throws Melanie off the deep end. Yeah, that's kind of like the, that's really the catalyst right there. Because uh, he says after this attack in the subway, he's like, let the reader be aware. This is not fiction. This is reality. And then the, sub- sh- <laughs> the subway brought chills to her skin. And then the stock, the strike, she screamed, twisted away from the carbon steel, blood filling the subway platform with the smell of salt and plasma. Like, it's like stuff like that. It is it's never said out loud, but the subtext here is he, he, he's going to be submitting this to the New Yorker. At some point. <laughs> yeah, he wants this. Uh, he, he wants to be the shouts and murmurs section. <laughs> he wants this next to the who is the guy who created Fresh. He wants this next to the Borowitz. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He thinks he's the next Andy Borowitz. <laughs> I mean, maybe they both have similar methods. Nah. Who knows? But, um, <laughs> oh, God. So then. After when he's not writing in his journal, you know it. He's doing naked martial arts. <laughs> yeah, oh folks, man. Uh, in the long tradition of naked martial arts and films, you know, uh, first and foremost in my mind, William Sadler, Colonel Stewart, and Die Hard Part Two doing some naked tai chi. And you know, I think that this is something that villains can do at all times to kind of let you know they are villains, but they're also going to be a tough matchup. <laughs> Because they've got the courage and the pride to do naked karate. Mm-hmm. We we have to mention too. This is uh, uh, the person who portrays uh, the killer, John Foster. He's a one and done. This was his only performance. Yes, he has no Wikipedia um, page. And um, mystery guy. Just yeah, he's just <laughs> I, he, he's, a, he's a mysterious guy. Yeah, he just kind of like is just I don't know whatever happened to this man. Like, I would, we don't know uh, what knows. I would love to know. I would love to know. Yeah, John, if you're listening, if you're, hopefully you're around. Um, this movie was a while ago and Abel Ferrara's friends yeah. have tended to have some tougher lives. Um, <laughs> uh, not a laughing matter, sorry. But um, yeah, we'd love to hear what you got up to since this movie. You're great in this movie. You're scary as hell. Um, so basically, all this lines up to like Matt Rossi. Oh, and um, there's an attack on Nikki and his girlfriend, too. And Nikki gets put in the hospital. He might not make it. He's got internal bleeding. Do we ever find out? No. No. Yeah. Left, left on the table. <laughs> we find out what happens to Nikki. Jack Scalia, um, nice actor, but I think compared to his other three leads, he doesn't really have the um, charismatic juice mm-hmm. that Melanie, Billy D, and Barringer have. Yeah. He, did, he also has, I feel like, the least of i guess he kind of like his arc is basically tom Berenger's but labor so it's yeah like, and yeah. i mean billy d does not get much of an arc but he's billy d williams so he just brings the heat yeah he's just a cool uh, charismatic because he's just cool yeah. yeah like everything he's in he's cool so you're like yeah i buy him in this and melanie griffith is actually quite great in film yeah <laughs> like, she's really good in it i think like everyone like all the side characters really bring the juice for the, with much the exception like, of Scalia. Yeah, much like Body Double, though, she um, she finds a um, real soulfulness and depth to a character that could have just been utilized by the male creators in the film for 
exploitate exploitative purposes. Yeah, no, hundred percent. She's able to elevate uh, material that yeah. perhaps was not, uh, you know, uh, playing to that character's potential strengths. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but what is really wonderful about this movie is that in the third act, Berenger sits down with the Italian mob boss, and the Italian mob boss lays it out like, "Man, you gotta, it's on you. Mm-hmm. You can't get the cops on this. None of our people on this. Certainly not any of the club owners or." The- our Jewish gang rivals um, yeah. certainly are not going to be the ones to do it. Um, yeah. Um, so it's up to Behringer. So do we get a training montage where we get Killer and Behringer cutting back and forth between them as they're training? Yeah, fuck yeah, we do. Yeah. And, is it, and are we excited about their eventual confrontation? Yeah, we are. <laughs> it's it's It gives you... It's it's dirty. It's a little dirty. It makes you feel a little sleazy while you watch this movie. But by the end, it's like giving you hit after hit of exactly what you want from this kind of movie. If you're into this kind of movie, like obviously it's not a very polite film, but no. um, and not yeah. subtle or yeah, <laughs> it's like, politically yeah. correct in any sense. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely you get the vibe like like the they found the slimiest people in New York to populate these like strip club. Like it is just mm. like just like the weirdest mooks after the weird. Yeah, just dens of what's wild lust. too. It's like <laughs> Berenger and Billy D. Williams and Berenger had made um <laughs> you know like the big chill before this. Oh my god. (laughs) So it's like he had done the big chill. He had just done Eddie and the Cruisers, and he's like gets this script across his desk. It's like, yeah, I'll do this. This sounds like (laughs) it's like in the right trajectory for my career going forward. I mean, he was in Platoon two years after this movie came out. And he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Won the GG too. Wow. Yeah. He, he rocks. By the oh, way. yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so there's like a weird element of like good actors, good like mainstream actors in this like kind of gross world. <laughs> yeah. But, and- yeah. All this leads up to this wonderful fist fight. Berenger, of course, uh, <laughs> uses Melanie Griffith as bait because he knows he can draw the bad guy out if Melanie's walking down a dark alley by herself. <laughs> a dangerous choice from yeah. Berenger, but it leads to a rad shot of Berenger at the end of the alley with lights behind him when he finally shows up to confront the guy. You're like, oh shit. This, we are on. Shit is going down. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> do we have a martial arts versus street boxing matchup? 100%. Yes. Abel does not disappoint. He gives us exactly what we want <laughs> a brutal fist fight between these two guys. It's terrific. Um, yeah, and it's exactly what you expect. Berenger wins. Yeah, although it is like, you know, I don't think it's interesting that the movie just ends with Berenger like killing. Like, I don't know if Berenger's happy with this outcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Berenger's dead. Berenger's still like, but he did kill another guy. Yeah, exactly. Which is still like, like he's like that's an, but going back to kind of our point about like Abel's like strange empathy for these characters. Like Berenger doesn't want to just kill people. Yeah, he's he's not he's not Frank White. 
and his gang momentarily. Oh yeah, who are like just having the time of their life. Yeah. It's just, it's just... <laughs> when we were watching King of New York. I was like, "What's up with these guys?" I'm like, "All of them are psychos. Yeah. Everyone in this movie, <laughs> like there, there's no one who's acting on the level in this in this movie." Like, like Joker is the baseline in this world. Yeah, in King like, New York. <laughs> like uh, you see the police, they're worse. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, David Caruso! Yeah, oh my oh, lord! Oh, we get that. We will we'll celebrate. We will celebrate David Caruso. Just a moment here. Um, but this movie is great. I love that you picked this one. Yeah, it was, it was a super fun choice. Um, you know, I was immediately I was like, oh, this is the East Coast lost br- twin to um, Vice Squad, the LA mm. version of this movie with the with our with one of our absolute faves, Wings Hauser, is of course the um, cowboy psychotic pimp Ramrod. Um, <laughs> did I sell you on the movie right? There? Yeah, I'm already. <laughs> hey, you had me at Wings. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, of course. As any as any true cinema fan knows, like you hear the name Wingshauser, you're like, yeah, oh, I'm in. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's money. Yeah. Do we have an autographed Wingshauser eight by ten from the film Vice Squad up in our house right now? Yes, we did. One hundred percent, we do. We are those kind of lunatics. Oh, there um, But yeah, like I love. Oh, we should also mention too tremendous street footage. Of early 80s New York. Yes. Awesome marquees. It's great. It's just, we, you know, we love that stuff, whether it's on either coast. We love old LA 80s, 70s, and 80s. We love New York 70s and 80s footage. And it, uh, it, this does not skimp on it at all. It's like unapologetically sleazy and slimy, yeah. but it's also kind of beautiful in its weird way. Yeah. Uh, like he does, yeah. Like I think, yeah, Abel Ferrara does. Um, he uh no one is better at uh putting the spotlight on the senior elements of society than him like i think he yeah he's a true gutter poet yeah a hundred percent yeah he he's just thrilling and um you know fear city again fear city is a very competently put together film it's exciting it works uh which of course caught the eye of one michael mann what who brought in able to direct two episodes of miami vice Mm -hmm. and the two-hour pilot for crime story in 1986 wow and uh if scorsese and michael mann think that you're bringing the bringing the heat then uh you must be doing something right yeah uh did some more tv work did a television film called the gladiator did a television film called the loner he did a film from 1987 called china girl also uh co-written by uh nicholas st john uh that i have not seen but it's actually pretty high on my list currently of ones to check out i've heard it's a key 80s ferrara film uh so we will update you if we do get around to seeing that one um 1989 he made a film called cat chaser with peter weller and kelly mcgillis based on a novel from elmore leonard uh american heist film erotic thriller um we will try if we remember but if not just take my word for it you can google it there is a long article about the making of this movie and how (laughs) terribly everyone involved behaved oh no (laughs) that if you want cd wild onset stories look up the making of cat chaser um and uh rumor has it a there is a three-hour masterpiece version as usual with all movies 
that go through this kind of production trouble, there's always a three-hour masterpiece that hasn't been released <laughs> version of it. Um, everyone involved behaved badly, including Abel, but... Um, you know, there there were no heroes in the Cat Chaser story, by all uh, accounts. Oh I've not seen it, but uh, based on this article I read that I really recommend you all checking out, there's some intrigue there to see what kind of train wreck this is. Yeah, I mean, I want to see, just to see Charles Durning play a guy named Jiggs Scully. Yeah, yeah, I mean, stuff like that. Uh, to Academy Academy loyalists, you would know that this big <laughs> siren. Calling us like we're running toward the siren. Like, Charles Durning playing a weird guy. <laughs> that sounds like us. <laughs> we you. Um, but fortunately, uh, Abel, the very next year, 1990, released a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. He got over Cat Chaser, Ooh. teamed up with Nicholas St. John once again to write and dir- to direct the film King of New York. Mm-hmm. Now, King of New York, we're obviously covering this week. Directed by Abel Ferrara. Produced by Augusto Caminito, Cam- which confused me at the top because the first credit is a film by Augusto Caminito. <laughs> and Mary Kane, written by Nicholas St. John, starring, um, let me uh, take a deep breath here, oh, Christopher goodness. Walken, David Caruso, Lawrence Fishburne, Victor Argo, Wesley Snipes, Janet Julian, Paul Calderon, Steve Buscemi, Giancarlo Esposito, Teresa Randall. Um, the movie was budgeted $5 million, only made $2.5 million at the box office. Where were you? Yes! Um, 71%. On Rotten Tomatoes. Critical consensus told too low, my friends. Critical <laughs> consensus reads: King of New York covers familiar narrative ground with impressive style and leaves plenty of room for his talented cast to, to deliver gripping performances. Ebert gave it only two stars. Ebert, mm. where were you on this one? You know, I could see. I give me Ebert's review because I have a feeling. Um, I have a prediction. He said, "Walken." You, you uh, brought his usual, usual polished and somehow sinister ease, and the director had a strong command of mood and style, but it was marred by a sketchy screenplay and a fragmented plot. Mm. And there was a point where Jen goes, "What's going on in this movie?" And I'm like, "I don't know." And I've seen this movie a handful of times. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. But like, here's the thing: like, this movie isn't a plot movie. This is a vibe movie. This is a vibe movie. This is about a bunch of guys and a couple gals. Getting together to behave badly. Yeah, this is about how crime is pretty fun and cool. Yeah, crime. Like, if you thought crime was cool and fun when you saw Scarface, guess what, man? Gets even better. <laughs> yeah, this slaps. Like it slaps. And I love the tease in this movie. So Christopher Walken, in one of his like, one of my favorite Christopher Walken performances, plays Frank White, mm-hmm. New York drug lord, being released from prison. Now, in many movies like this, we would say to ourselves, oh, this is going to be one where he's trying to get straight. Mm-hmm. And man, it's a battle because like all the demons are coming back. Much like Jack Nicholson at the beginning of The Shining, showing that he's a psychopath from the start. No change is going to happen. It appears that Frank White wants to get back in the drug game almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> almost instantaneously. Almost instantaneously. He feels no regrets or I feel no remorse, <laughs> as we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so simultaneously we meet Jimmy Jump, played by the equally godlike Lawrence Fishburne, uh-huh. who is just blasting dudes right and left. Yeah, taking control. I'm like, oh man, is he like the? This is another twist. He's the young up and comer. Is he like um, Benny Blanco from the Bronx? From Carlito's way. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like when I first saw but, this movie, yeah, you're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know about this guy. Yeah. Then they go to the Plaza Hotel. Yes. Frank is somehow paying for this gigantic hotel room, and Jimmy Jump, Steve Buscemi, and their crew show up on Frank and his girlfriend. You think it's going to be a confrontation, but then oh, guess yeah. what? They all start dancing. No. They're friends. They all, <laughs> oh, they do the like when they like all. <laughs> do their insane like is it a handshake is it like they they all Boss, go it's it's a it's a true like five ten minutes in the movie highlights you're just like fumping your fish like, oh yeah they're all on the same team yeah they, they all simultaneously hump the air i know and, they, and chris walken's doing like a crazy dance he says my favorite line in the movie well you know i love money <laughs> It's so joyous. It's so crazy. So rad. Everybody looks like a thousand dollars. They're all kicking ass. Patrick noticed Fishburne's jacket is just a just totally boss jacket. It's it might be one of the best looks we've seen on the Academy Academy. Like it gives like Wesley Snipes a run for his money. Yeah. Um Giancarlo Esposito's in the crew. We remember him from last week dating French women in Mo Better Blues in the band. (laughs) We love him. Oh, he's good. Teresa Randall, who we've we've gotten to know in a couple films now, she's awesome in this. In oh, she a staple that has been dropped from action movies that needs to come back. We saw it in New Jack City, and we saw it in this one. Badass lady member of the gang, blasting Uzis. Yeah, like the enforcer of the gang is a badass lady. Like it, that's like that's rules the, every time. I love it. Yeah, it's every like that's, time out. that's the thing about it. it's like there's like this weird egalitarianness that I just like they all like are like on equal footing. They're all equally sleazy and insane. It yeah. rules. So Frank's right back in the mix. He seemingly simultaneously wants to do like good deeds. Yeah, build this hospital. He's like Robin Hood esque kind of. <laughs> But he's also like consolidating the drug trade in general, <laughs> like having people kill all of his rivals. <laughs> he's like super evil. It's very yeah. strange. It's a strange. I can't tell if like they're trying to like if if the movie thinks like he's a good guy for doing this and he just this is just him having to do whatever it takes, or if yeah. it's or if it's just like a um, or if this is like his character trying to justify all the heinous actions he's committing. Yeah, it's difficult to say what kind of moral struggle he's having. And some of that has to do with the script and some of that has to do with Chris Walken kind of being, you know, one of the reasons why we love him is that he's a bit off kilter. Yeah. Like his choices are a little, they're surprising in how he goes about that. I mean, we all, who could forget the invitation to go to Marie Callender's in um, Geely. <laughs> yeah, the classic moment the classic in cinema moment. history. My favorite moment in Geely. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> what? Your favorite moment isn't the part where uh, a piece of uh, brain goes into the fish tank? And... Yeah. <laughs> I think it's um, I think it's uh, Justin Bartha's rendition of um, I, like, I Like Big Butts. Yeah, that's kind of... Uh, that should be uh, playing um, on loop at the MoMA. Well, I mean, as people know, if you've read um, Dante's Inferno, 
the seventh circle of purgatory is, of course, you're with Justin Bartha in character doing that song over and over again. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I forgot that Dante predicted mm-hmm. the. You know how The Simpsons yeah. predicts the future? Like Dante's Inferno predicted that a Justin Bartha entity would come to yeah. exist and the sing a, a, an unholy song about yeah. the the posterior of unkept woman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it happens, but anyway, <laughs> it makes you anyway. think. <laughs> it makes you think. Um, you think. So, and then Frank Frank has a lawyer girlfriend who, <laughs> again, I'm playing with it again. You feel like she's going to be like Edie in um, Heat, Robert yeah. De Niro's girlfriend who who wants to know so much about him and his business. Um, <laughs> it's a book about medals, anyway. <laughs> Uh, but she's not because she also lets him like straight up grope her happily on the subway and seems to have no compulsion with any of his business whatsoever, even though she's also like seems to be a respected lady lawyer. Yeah, she's like, I think <laughs> about, she's like about New York. She's like the daughter of the councilman or the older. Yeah. And it, so it's like. Yeah, Jen kept saying, why is she with him? Over and over again. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I can explain that. I don't think we have a good answer. No, it just for, it, yeah, and it, it doesn't is, really it, it doesn't really matter. No. <laughs> Either. This is an insane uh this film is is weird and dreamlike. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It goes with like the wonderful cinematography and so forth too. And kind of like the amazing things like the like the shootouts where Christopher Walken's like out at the top of a limo with two Uzis they, that look like they're taking place on a set, mm-hmm. like rather than a real New York street. They're, they're, I think we were talking about that a little bit with kind of the dream logic of like Mobeta Blues, like it's like real but not. Yeah. This is like the same kind of New York. It's like a real but not New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so simultaneously on the other side of the law, and this is again... So you expect a heat type thing where it's like, oh, they're kind of similar guys. Well, they are. Except David Crusoe is a total fucking psychopath, just like Frank White is. Yeah, they're both like, yeah, two sides of the same and like just ludicrous yeah. coin. They're two. Yeah. So David Caruso's crew is Caruso, who plays Dennis Gilly. Mm-hmm. Victor Argo is Lieutenant Roy Bishop. And Wesley Snipes is the wonderfully named detective Tommy Flanagan. So, you know how Snipes was cast in this? Oh, go ahead. Apparently, uh, David Caruso uh, suggested Snipes because they both worked on a pilot for a Dick Wolf TV show that was canceled after, like, one season together. It was called H-E-L-P, like, Help. And I was trying to find, like, it, oh, it's a bummer. level of it. I've never even heard about it. It's gone, I think. It's, like, totally gone from, like, you can't, like, I, I looked on YouTube just to see if there was, like, an episode just to watch. And it's, like, there's, like, one clip from, like, a grain. It's, like, a recording wow. of a recording. And, and I, it's, I, yeah, six, it did six episodes in 1990. Yeah, which meant that, like, it did not, yeah, it only got, like, 20 million views. How much a mid, mid-season replacement for Mission Impossible, which was a mid-season replacement for Mr. Belvedere. Um, <laughs> I'm just imagining some, like, very confused people expecting Mr. Belvedere. And the lead of the show was uh, John Mahoney, Frazier's dad, who, oh. we, who we recently saw in um, Streets of Fire as yeah. well. So, so a lot, a lot of connections here, but yes, uh, only lasted 
from March to April of 1990. So, like, let us know. Send us an email or uh, reach us on Twitter if you were uh, watching the ABC network, spring of 1990. Yeah. Catch an episode of HELP. Because I think this is truly lost media. This is like a. Like this is a hundred percent gone. Which we we are fascinated with this kind of things that aren't that old, but have seemingly vanished. Like, uh, you know, Streets of Gold last week. Yeah. Will that ever get any level of like? It might show up on a streaming service, perhaps. But maybe. Maybe, it's not probably not going to see a disc release uh, again, mm-hmm. if it ever had one in the first place. It's fascinating you know and everyone works hard on these things you know literally everyone patrick and i know are trying to get in to work hard on these things yeah so and it's yeah it's a bummer and like even even like yeah you're like stuff like your lego movies or whatever yeah there are people like slaving away and like toiling yeah but um so we meet our cops um Mm. and caruso is unhinged just from the jump Mm-hmm. And he's obsessed with taking down Frank White. Yeah. So there kind of becomes this battle between them. Um, there's this scene where Caruso spits in Fish Prince's face that legitimately feels like it's going to lead to a real fist fight between the two of them. Yeah, a truly <laughs> insane moment. And the way yeah. that like Fishburne reacts is incredible. Yeah. And Fishburne just pops so hard yeah. in this part. He's so good. And, um, you know, highly recommend anyone who hasn't going back to listen to the episode of the ringer podcast the rewatchables that they did on this movie that quentin tarantino guested on because tarantino's a huge fan of king of new york and this movie was he originally wanted fishburne to play jewels in pulp fiction based mm. on his fandom in particular of this movie but um Fishburne and his people, they thought it was like a small, another small independent movie and Fishburne should, you know, be in a little more mainstream stuff and get paid more. He turned it down. Damn. Samuel Jackson got the part and the rest is um, <laughs> cinema history. <laughs> it's no. so crazy. It's so funny because like as as uh, as you know, you can't have that part without Samuel Jackson on one hand, it feels like. But I feel like if you were going to get one person on planet Earth to play that character, I think Lawrence Fishburne he was the only other yeah. person who could do it, probably. He would have been great. Um, yeah. Jen, in her first viewing, this was her first viewing of this movie. Oh, wow. Um, did bring up she would have loved to see Fishburne and Snipes switch parts because she would have loved to see Snipes play Jimmy Jump, which, yeah. I mean, geez, it's an embarrassment of riches when you have these two both in your movie so you know and flanagan might not have i don't know how flanagan's like sounds caruso kind of gets the um the meat the meat on the police side of things but Mm. flanagan does some interesting stuff too um he very funny funnily has an irish name Um, yeah i love that the part where they're at the wedding and they're giving him like shit for being at the even though his name is like Tommy like you get the sense that maybe Tommy Flanagan was originally gonna be a different like a white actor yeah, probably. Yeah <laughs> like uh, oh god by the way that wedding is so incredible how like they do such a good job of demonstrating like how cheesy the cops are in comparison yeah. to the uh 
Yeah, they, it's like it's some shitty bar where it's like Frank White's in the Plaza Hotel. Like, and, and they're just playing like the dumbest like dad blues rock, like just yeah. like that, burn, burn out, burn out. Like it's so lame in comparison to Schoolboy Q and like all that. Yeah. And like the neon lights. Um, I also think this movie does a good job when you were talking about just uh, like the dream like New York. Like it, they do a good job of demonstrating how New York at this point, or at least the New York of this world is kind of like it feels like a desiccated animal with mm-hmm. the exception, like there's a few like safety safe locations where everything is like clean and pops out. Like we're like, you know, where the wealthy eat at their fancy restaurants or watch their like fancy shows. But, but like none of these people are invited there. Frank is an interloper no. and the rest are wor- even worse. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then the New York that he has access to the one where the host, the hospital is is going to leave. Yeah. It, it's, it's a desiccated carcass. It feels like uh it feels like a, uh almost apocalyptic at times when you're like yeah. yes it's because it's like it's 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 it, there's it's desiccated there's no one there there's moments where like when they're in the rain and they just you see those two like like you know homeless people by like the fire or whatever but like the classic trash can fire like yeah just it feels like a it feels like um while frank was in you know jail like everyone all these people that frank was going after sucked the marrow of the bones of new york dry yeah yeah no totally and i was going to mention too um totally forgot on the last mm-hmm. um the on the last film there's this part where melanie griffith walks into the strip club with sunglasses on toward the end of the movie where she's got all these red lights behind her mm-hmm. and um i want uh, the producers of the new HBO Max show One Perfect Shot to invite Abel Ferrara on to break down how rad everything in that shot looks. It's like, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's so crazy, though, that like the New York of Beer City and the New York of King of New York, there's such a juxtaposition. Like all the lights are gone, all the neon, mm-hmm. all those, all of the CD joints are. Even those are like closed, it feels yeah, like. Yeah, I think it's a transitionary because I just looked it up because I was curious when Giuliani was elected mm-hmm. mayor. It was 94. So it's still a few years prior. Mm-hmm. I think it's like Dinkins, right? Maybe. Yeah, but yeah. I, yeah, I think so. But it was, um, there's definitely like, feels like this is like in that transitionary phase of like the taxi driver type of New York mm-hmm. and the fun city era of New York into Fear City era of New York. Yeah. Into the, you know, Giuliani sweep it under the surface. Right. And it seems like they're like at the part where they've swept it under the rug, but they have nothing to replace it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So all of this back and forth leads up to some pretty dynamic car chase action sequences between everybody. And um, kind of the, 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 straw that breaks the camel's back in this entire feud is it uh ends up with fishburn brutally kills snipes mm-hmm. but then caruso brutally kills fishburn oh man i think like the way that lawrence fishburn dies in this movie i feel like that's like it feels like that his whole like death sequence him like kind of being sim- simultaneously like moaning like ah it hurts so much yeah and then like also laughing because he got got one uh, on uh yeah and- he's like he's like i killed your friend and maybe because of the way caruso reacts maybe more than a friend yeah could be honestly because caruso gives him a big smooch 
Yeah, he smooches him as he goes, and it's but it's like I think that that's like the heart. I feel like that's like the heart of a lot of like Abel Ferrer's films is like that where pain and pleasure meet. Yeah, like that. Like yeah, I feel like there's so much because like it's like how, yeah, how bad it all is. Kinda. Yeah, how bad? Oh yeah, exactly. How bad? Like or if you live that intensely, I don't know. It's it's wild. Yeah, but then um, so this next sequence in the film though is probably my favorite moment in the film and one of the most like i jumped out of my chair i jump out of my chair every time mm-hmm. so it's this big police funeral oh, for yes. tommy flanagan and david caruso can't take it he's fucking pissed and david caruso is such an animal in this movie he's so angry all the time yeah oh god yeah he is a... he goes to his car just to chill out, but cannot really. His car won't start. He's pissed. Yeah, he's you think he's pissed. gonna? You think he's gonna go get revenge? You think he? Yeah. You, you think he's gonna drive away? Then Ferrara cuts to a fucking limo driving through, driving up, parks right next to Caruso's car. Window rolls down. It's walking with a sawed-off shotgun, and he blows Caruso's head off. <laughs> he gets like one word. I think he's like "hello" or "hey, yeah. buddy" or something like that. Oh. Caruso looks up. Death. Yeah, it and rolls. you're like at a police funeral blows the head off of another cop it's wild yeah takes the movie to the next level oh man yeah there's like as i think about this movie there's like five moments like that in that movie in this movie at least of just like you're like just like holy shit like what is happening why did how did they do this (laughs) it's so yeah it's so it's wild and you're just like man it it's so it's grim but it's super entertaining (laughs) in a very nihilistic dark way um and all this leads up to basically there's nobody left except for Victor Argo and Christopher Walken. Everybody's dead. Mm-hmm. Like everybody dies. In this yeah. Um, like all the sidekicks die. Everybody. Die. Yeah. Everybody. And um, because the, oh, we should mention too Caruso and Snipes, even before the big scene where Snipes goes down, launch into one of the most dangerous and ill-conceived shakedowns of Christopher Walken's crew. Oh my God! Truly just ludicrous. Fail, failure on all fronts. Everybody get it goes. There's losses, massive losses on all sides. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> and like yeah, and they, and like uh, Teresa Randall saves uh, Christopher Watkins. Like that. That moment is so wild, where she like pushes Christopher out of the way. Yeah, she, and she dies sadly because we loved her oh yeah that um, was great yeah and then it gets to this ending where victor argo and walking on the subway and they kind of have a standoff mm-hmm. walk-in gets the best of him takes him out but then we find out walking has been hit as well walking gets into a taxi cab and walking gives a very um mysterious ambiguous performance mm-hmm. in the final moments of this movie you're not quite sure where frank mentally stands you know, as he's dying in the back of his taxi cab, like, is he regretful? Does he like it all? Like this movie is 103 minutes long and it feels like it takes place over four days <laughs> just, and like 50 people die. And it's just nuts, but it's endlessly entertaining. It's a gangster flick classic, you know, mm-hmm. put it on with, put it on your Scarfaces and your um, Goodfellas. If you're a fan of those kind of things in the world. Movie rocks. Um, on the Snipes front, I just don't think he gets enough to have been warranted to be in the tournament. Yes, this, I, th- I think that's so too. If yeah. this was a Christopher Walken or Lawrence Fishburne or David Caruso tournament, mm-hmm. this would probably be in the mix. Certainly with Walken, I think. 
Yeah, definitely walking. And that's probably fish. Yeah, too. yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but might... it rocks nonetheless. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry I spoiled it. It doesn't really matter. You'll enjoy it nonetheless, even if it's spoiled. You can yeah. kind of guess what's going to happen. It's not. There's not a huge amount of surprises. Yeah. <laughs> it's. Yeah. It's. It's. And it's. And even if we've told you, like the just seeing it in the moment is crazy. Like it'll. Yeah. yeah you'll yeah. get the, the surprise. The energy and the madness and the fact that Ferrara seems to let all of these like very passionate but perhaps but kind of um idiosyncratic actors mm-hmm. kind of do whatever they feel like it feels you know it it's pretty good stuff pretty damn yeah. good stuff uh interesting fun fact too um according to ferrara donald trump gave him permission to film at the plaza hotel at no charge on the condition that chris walken would pose for a photograph with ivana trump who was a fan <laughs> uh, you know that makes sense actually yeah this guy he's a big guy big guy <laughs> a lot of great guys in the king of new york but, you know a lot of people say i'm the king of new york <laughs> <laughs> i do a little dance and i hump the gray air too <laughs> oh he is 100 percent watched this movie and thought he was frank white 100 i'm just imagining him getting into office with this all his cabinet and they all do a little clap in the oh <laughs> yeah oh all of these nerds these guys they're doing their dance oh god steve mnuchin dressed like steve buscemi yeah oh that's uh, that's that's, that's more dire than the film itself yeah <laughs> horrible but horrible the movie's great if you haven't seen it you got to you got to yeah like, you have the highest highest academy academy recommendation it's one of our faves it's a banger it's like yeah it's like what every every time i watch this movie for like the first 10 minutes i'm always like did i really give this like a 4.5 on letterboxd and by the end i'm always like yeah no this is a 4.5 this is incredible yeah. yeah this is an incredible movie one of kind of one of a kind yeah uh, but speaking of one of a kind abel's next film perhaps is most talked about perhaps his most controversial of them all mm. bad lieutenant <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know what you know it, it's all been said about bad lieutenant I oh, think. Yeah. um you know check it out though if you've got the if you know put on, put on your adult pants and, yeah. and then take them off like harvey Keitel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah that was like a, there was like the 90s was a big year for yeah. or a big decade for harvey Keitel schlong this was yeah it was, was yeah. yeah you know you got it you flaunt it um yeah yeah, and that one of course co-written with zoe lund of miss 45 fame and um abel ferrara himself said um the director of a movie like bad lieutenant has to be using drugs while making the film bad lieutenant so you could see where his state of mind was (laughs) at that time too um (laughs) you know and the you know by all accounts there was not a drug or drink that abel would turn down for many many years um yeah followed that up in 93 with one of his probably biggest studio films body snatchers a remake of invasion the body snatchers this is a good movie it's very good mm. um it stands with the other the previous two versions of this story i saw it at the new beverly in an all-nighter a few years back and it was very very cool nice. uh, recommend that one too also in 93 he made a film called dangerous game starring harvey Keitel and madonna <laughs> Wow. Uh, have not seen this one. Nicholas St. John co-wrote it. Uh, apparently did um, 31% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. Uh, did, was not 
well received. Um, it is wild that like there was a time when Abel could get like Madonna in his yeah. movies. Like it seems like the Abel of the 2010s and the Abel of the 1990s. Like yeah, you can't. I can't imagine him now getting no, someone no. like a Billie Eilish to star in one of his movies or something. And I think it's because there was, especially post Bad Lieutenant, this. Um, and Madonna always looked, you know, Madonna very capitalistic when it came to opportunities to kind of um, be provocative. Mm, and you. Abel Ferrara was kind of the bad boy of cinema at yeah. this point in the early 90s. You know, he'd really built up that reputation, kind of that, you know, the gutter poet and all that kind of thing. And, you know, it gives you, and people don't do that as much these days. You're right. They're a little more protective of their personas, but you know, it gives you kind of like. I think it's kind of like the desire of like a pop, like Robert Pattinson going to do a good time. Right. They there is this element of like, look what it look at. I can I can play on this side of the tracks. Yeah, I have layers. Damn it, <laughs> layers. I'm willing to kind of get a little grungy. I'm getting look get a little ugly. Get a little weird with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, massive failure at the box office and critically dangerous game. Have not seen it. Uh, want to much like cat chaser yeah. any, any sort of disaster at that level i'm interested in uh 95 though he did the addiction black and white film that equates drug addiction with vampirism um, ah. with lily taylor and christopher walken annabelle sciora from um jungle fever nice uh, uh written by nicholas st john again mm-hmm. very hip movie very cool uh 96 the funeral Again, with Christopher Walken. Um, have not seen this one. This one's tough to find. Currently. Oh, really? Not streaming, not streaming, not on DVD currently. Oh, bummer. Um, and uh, so probably have to go to your local video store for that one. It appears, though, it sounds very cool. Um, crime drama. Chris mm-hmm. Walken, Chris Penn, Annabella Sciorra again, Isabella Rossellini, Vincent Gallo in the mix. Uh, oh. Benicio Del Toro as well. Um, made a film called in 97 called The Blackout with Matthew Modine. Um, I, I'm not particularly familiar with that one. Basically, from this point on up until the movies we're going to talk about in a moment, he kind of goes into this realm where he's making quite a few, but they're just not really like um, culturally hitting that mark mm-hmm. in the same way. Not, I, don't, I can't speak to their quality. I haven't actually seen a lot of these. But we'll just go through it. 97, The Blackout, 98, New Rose Hotel, um, 2001, Rxmas, um, huh. 2005, Mary, which is supposed to be good, which has got Julia Binoche, Forrest Whitaker, Marion Cotillard, Matthew Modine, and Heather Graham. Uh, Go Go Tales, Chelsea in 2007, Chelsea and the Rocks in 2008. Um, makes, makes in 2009, he does a brief cameo appearance in the Safdie Brothers movie, Daddy Long Legs, kind of ceremonial passing of the torch of New York gutter poets. Yep. Perhaps. <laughs> yes, perhaps. perhaps. I think so. Because this is also heading toward Abel's abandonment of New York, um, which we'll get to in a moment here. 2011, he makes 444 Last Day on Earth. Uh, Willem Dafoe in that um 2014 he makes welcome to new york about the very con- very controversial film kind of his return to making um movies that don't shy away 
from things. And this is based on the Dominique Strauss-Kahn affair, which a prominent French politician was accused of sexually assaulting a hotel maid and kind of was revealed about being this like monstrous, slovenly, gross man. Yeah. Played, of course, by Gerard Depardieu, who has been accused of the exact same things. Yeah, I will, I will describe the casting as apt. Uh, yeah, an apt, <laughs> apt casting. Yeah. Uh, Weird that he might end up in, like, a Russian gulag, I think. Yes. <laughs> like, um, and around this time, Ferrara also moved to Rome, Italy. Mm. Um, New York, for him, had become too, basically, dangerous. It was, There were too many... Um, possibilities to, to slip with his battle with addiction and that mm. kind of thing so too many bad memories i think frankly and too many dark alleys and we i mean we've seen him in his movies too yeah. we know what he we kind of through his movies we kind of get an idea of what he has seen yeah and it's not all great stuff yeah um 2014, he makes a film called Pasolini about the Italian filmmaker Piero Paolo Pasolini, uh, starring Willem Dafoe. This one is next on my Ferrara watch list. Mm. Um, and by all accounts, it's kind of the first one in this group that we're going to be talking about in a moment of his elder statesman, elder statesman artist, looking back, kind of existentially thinking about what it all meant, his own regrets and his guilt, his desire to move forward, but kind of the things that are thwarting him from doing so. Mm. Would you say that's kind of an apt description of the next stuff? Yeah, I would say, yeah, it feels, I feel like like this next chapter of Ferreira's uh, career feels like extremely personal. Yes. And, um, you know, and I think like a lot of it is probably like now that he's not Perhaps living as debauch as a, a debaucherist as a uh, as a lifestyle as he did in the past, maybe like you know the only direction he can kind of go is inward. I don't know. Yeah, and I also think too, um, he feels perhaps liberated by not having anything to do with the American system, yeah, filmmaking really, because these movies are also. Um, far more loose when it comes to plot and traditional structure and that kind of thing, especially his most recent couple. Yeah, um, there definitely, yeah, definitely is a sense of like, and I don't say this even as a uh, slight or anything, like, yeah, but he feels, he certainly feels, these films feel way more unmoored mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have the basic story structure of even a King of New York. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like what we were talking about, kind of the satisfying plot moves of Fear City. Yeah. Um, not not so much here. Yeah, no, yeah, Tommaso doesn't get into like a huge fight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like it's not a leading up, you know, and it really is kind of about this. You're right, like trying to abandon this old life, mm-hmm. but being completely and utterly haunted and kind of addicted to this old life and not yeah. knowing... And also feeling a little insecure in this new life. Like he doesn't belong in the new life. Yeah, he is not comfortable in his skin. Yeah, no. And we, so made a bunch of documentaries after Pasolini, but all of this led up to 2019's Tommaso. Um, this played world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival in 2019, released in the States in June of 2020. 
directed and written by Abel Ferrara, starring Willem Dafoe and needs to be known ahead of time, Christina, um, sorry, Christina, Sh- Shiriak, yeah, that right? That right. who plays Tommaso's wife, Nikki, and mm-hmm. Anna Ferreira, who plays Dee Dee, Tommaso's daughter. Christina and Anna are, of course, Abel's real wife and daughter. Um, Tommaso is basically a story about an uh, aging American artist, filmmaker, mm-hmm. who lives in Rome with his young European wife and three-year-old daughter and kind of is dealing with his reconciling his bad boy past with his current kind of domesticated existence mm-hmm. while also kind of feeling his age yeah a bit um if i just <laughs> described what we have just discussed the last hour and 16 minutes about this filmmaker it's because this does not seem like there is a hell of a lot of boundary between what is real and what is fictional yeah for be- definitely for better or worse it, it legit just feels like this almost feels like abel's form of therapy like this is like him like yes i hitting- thought the exact same thing yeah yeah like he's just watching like scenarios play out with willem dafoe as like a stand-in for himself yeah um critical consensus on this has 77 percent on rotten tomatoes while admittedly a self-indulgent exercise, Tommaso is powerfully anchored by an outstanding central performance from Willem Dafoe. Um, the finances on this movie don't really matter because this, if unfortunately, as we all know, uh, June 5th, 2020, we were, <laughs> we were knee deep in it uh, in our quarantine here. So <laughs> this did not play in any real theaters for yeah. the most part. Uh, hell yeah, I, hello, zero dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Box office is twenty seven thousand dollars. Oh no! Um, it probably it certainly cost more than that. Uh, but yeah. I think we should start with Willem Dafoe is outstanding. I think you can say a lot of ups and downs. You can have a lot of conversations about the quality of this movie, but I don't think you can argue about how good Willem Dafoe is in this. He's incredible. Yeah, it's like he um, he is so gripping, and he's also just at this like his like. I don't know. Like he just like he's such a magnetic figure. We um, we we talked about his physique a lot while watching the movie yeah. and afterwards. <laughs> like he's he's like sixty five years old and he's he looks great. <laughs> he like, is incredible for a second. Well, also it's like him and Christopher Walken and I'll throw in William Fickner. There's something about like German guys from New York. That they have these like cheekbones and they're like ga- they kind of gaunt, but um, yeah, always like very like distinguished. Yeah, and angular. It's very it's it's, it's, it's like yeah, just aesthetically and as a human being. That goes along with like what um, Defoe's like yoga toned body mm-hmm. makes him like this like very like like he he feels like like a like a classic sports car. It's yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, he does feel like yeah, like some sort of fifties hot rod. Yeah, and you know, and we were talking about it too because you know we're getting a whole older and stuff, and we were watching him do like handstands and like oh, it was himself off the ground doing yoga. But we were noticing too, just like the way he walks the streets and like thinking about like older people we know who are past sixty. Mm-hmm. It's like man, that guy like moves better than I do. Like he like saunters down the street, and like both Jenna like that's the dream. That is literally a dream to be able to walk down the street that confidently and that like smoothly 
in your mid sixties. Oh yeah. Well, it's like what we said in the Winston Carter undisputed, uh, uh, white men can't jump episode, you know, the best, uh, the best, uh, you know, medicine for, um, you know, being able to walk confidently and, uh, without, uh, any hindrance in a, at an old age is to get really famous really early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have a lot of, have a lot of access to all the, the, the most incredible physicians and, uh, yep. and, <laughs> yep. uh, a wonderful diet plan that can be paid for. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, measurably. And uh, yeah, and um, the time to spend two hours a day <laughs> in whatever exercise you feel is yeah. necessary at that time for a completely balanced um, yeah. phys- physique and body. And if you could <laughs> get cast as like a green goblin, if you couldn't, yeah, that will help. Yeah, you get, and, yeah. and look at, I mean, he gets get this guy defoe works and he works with the best people and yeah. i mean oh it's just, incredible and like no shade also i have a feeling that even if defoe wasn't like an actor he would probably still be able to walk like this he's like one of those few dudes who would probably like yeah i think he'd still be trying his best to like live like this yeah pro- exactly completely but interesting things about defoe is you know he also has a younger wife who's italian oh he wow kinda, and he lives part-time in italy Oh, if not full time, um, the scenes in the acting classes did not feel like they were mysterious to Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he oh, felt no. very comfortable in those acting class scenes yeah. as the teacher. Like I, it seems like he probably did that stuff, though he probably did those exercises, you know, as a teacher. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I just saw that and had flashbacks to like UCB improv classes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, but it's right. And it's the, the beautiful thing about that is that he's talking about vulnerability and talking about being open and stuff like that. And that is really hard to get to, but then they cut like the very next scene is him like listening to people at the AA meeting and you're watching his face as he's listening to people. And like, he's doing everything he was just preaching. Yeah. No, he lives (laughs) up to the hype. It's like an incredible, like, yeah, no, he, he, he can walk the walk and talk the talk. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's just so phenomenal and he gets to play so many different levels in this movie i mean and this movie is wild and they make him do a lot of wild stuff and i mean you know we can also get into it here so the woman who plays christina um shiriak who plays nikki uh is kind of become a fixture mm-hmm. in able ferrara's movies since he's gotten with her uh she's in everyone that has followed including zeros and ones that we'll talk about momentarily mm-hmm. um she this is another weird able thing. <laughs> She's naked a lot, and she gets yeah. And she he has his leading men sleep with her a lot, <laughs> and, it's a, and it's, I don't it's know weird. what kind of, like psychologically. I don't know how to diagnose that either, because a big part of this movie is about him feeling he is like totally that she is this babe that he is totally inadequate, yeah, to be with, and he's so paranoid she's going to leave him for a hunk, a young yep. hunk, and yet. Abel has her sleep on screen with hunks. Yeah. <laughs> and they're thinking there's only one way he can show that. Yeah. He's like, and Jed was like, is he self-cucking himself? And that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's totally weird. Well, like, there's so many, like, insane, not even just that. Like, there's that one moment where, for example, uh, he's saying hello to his little daughter. Like, so he has like a three-year-old daughter, three-year-old oh, daughter plays himself. God. And he says, like, hello to her. And the daughter, like, there's a moment where the, the daughter, like, walks out into the street and it looks like a car is about to hit her. 
and you and see like Defoe well, freaks out. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. But then you find out. I guess that was like an illusion or like uh, a, a, well, a dream. And I mean, one thing I do, and I actually am a huge fan of this this choice in films to not really ever announce when a dream is happening and letting the audience kind of have to pick up on if it's real or not, whether or not it ha- it goes that way, you know. Mm-hmm. But you're putting a huge amount of faith in the audience that they're going to pick up on these yeah. things. And there's a lot of moments in this movie like he just like there's a part where Defoe goes in his coffee shop and all of a sudden the barista's butt naked. Yeah. You're like, okay, where did this come from? <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's like 50. Yeah, there's a couple and of And there's a moments. ton of those. You yeah. were talking about the one with the where Defoe gets arrested. Yeah. You know? And Ferrara just discussed that with these newer ones, he's actively seeking out dreams. Dream logic on screen. Mm-hmm. And Tommaso is actually out of his most recent three movies, the most coherent. Yeah. When it comes to this, because the one, the two that followed are pretty wild swings into the dream logic territory. Um, bring her up again. Jen made an excellent point. Um, it feels like Bergman is most mentally broken. Wow. In a lot of these films. And mm-hmm. I agree. I think that like there's persona. I mean, I, they're not as good as persona or Out of the wolf, but um those kind of qualities mm-hmm. to them where anything is kind of possible and we're going deep into like the the mind of this character and kind of the, the artist behind this character yeah um but the, the the neat thing about this movie that makes it so compelling is that Tommaso is so interesting for all of his flaws and everything you are he's charismatic and you like following him around you want to see what he gets up to yeah for better or worse and a lot of times for worse because he's really struggling he clearly in the past was had major addiction issues and was a womanizer. Yeah. And he kind of owns it, but at the same time, he hates himself for it. But at the same time, he kind of wants to do it all again. Yeah. And like, uh, he, he refuses to, I think like, I don't know, there is something about his ability to kind of seemingly I think he's just very open as a character and mm-hmm. I think that like it leads to a bunch of very beautiful moments in this film I think it's just because he's lived he's lived in the gutter himself he's he's of that world that it allows him uh, kind of like access to a bunch of like moments that i think a lot of other actors probably or directors wouldn't like think about adding in their films like i yeah. really like i think the the part for me that truly i thought that was the best part in the movie and it, it, it almost kind of works as a short form and, and it form in itself is the moment with the uh when he's uh confronting the the drunk oh i was just thinking about this yeah yeah i agree like, i agree like, and there's something beautiful in that moment where like because it reminds me of like a moment i had when we were um because like there's like a drunk, basically there's a drunk outside of uh, Tommaso's apartment, and his wife is like, you know, and the drunk is like screaming and just being very loud, cursing, and cursing, yeah. yeah, and it's scaring his Tommaso's daughter, and his wife is like, you got to stop this guy, or no, the wife doesn't want him to go. He's gonna mm-hmm. go and like c- confront him. Yeah, Tommaso gets a little hot in that moment, yeah. and he wants to go like. You know, he wants to like, this guy. It's yeah. kind of dangerous. It is kind of. It's interesting too because it's like this thing where, like, uh, I, 
there have been moments where I've felt that before. Like, you know, I live in LA and there's like people that will like, I've had people outside of my apartment, like start screaming or do crazy mm-hmm. stuff. And, and so like, it felt like, you know, I, I felt for Tommaso in that moment. And I could also see how like, Oh man, this could get heavy. Like, you know, be careful Tommaso. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, like the groovy thing about this movie is anything is, po- they've already established that anything is possible. So Tommaso could get knifed here and be a ghost the rest of the movie. Yeah, for all we know. <laughs> totally 100 percent. but then he goes down and like uh and what i love about it is he's like screaming at him they're talking and then it goes from like yeah it could have been like a conflict but then it just turns into this moment where they kind of like just share like a weird like hey like what's your problem like what's happening like i have a he tells him basically i have a daughter who's trying to sleep and he like in that one moment he understands he's quiet and they share like a little moment where like, yeah, like, I think this is, you said this, like they're both like, they both kind of realize that they're both immigrants that moved to America <laughs> or from, from America or Pakistan in this person's case for uh, similar-ish reasons, perhaps. Yeah, they're on uh, the and, run. Yeah. And uh, there's also like a moment where like, you know, and, you know, he tells eventually they kind of like, they have a camaraderie. He asks for a little money, gives him some money. The guy promises he'll leave and he walks away. And there is this like one moment where you see him walking away where like he can either keep going down the sidewalk or he can kind of like walk into the street. And for a split second, I thought he was going to walk into the street and get hit by a car. <laughs> and uh, but that doesn't happen. But you you get the sense that like uh, Willem Dafoe is looking at this man and it's like, oh, this could be me in another life. This yeah. is like, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's- there's also that wonderful part, too, where the guy offers him a drink. And Willem Dafoe's like, no, 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 that that stuff's poison. Yeah. Like, he has to like tell himself that, you know, because of course I think he, you know, wants it completely. Yeah. Oh, it should also be noted too that where they shot this is Abel Ferrara's real apartment. Man, that's nuts. Yeah. So yeah. this is, I, I legitimately, I actually feel this is quite a hip movie. <laughs> I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's really good. It's not for everybody. Yeah, it's an interesting movie. But, I think it's yeah. I, I I and I really think there are moments of it that like truly do like stick with me and like pop. Uh, yeah, and it's it is weird that he is like he has a super young wife. That's that's definitely weird. Yeah, and you know, I mean, Ava's relationship with women. There's probably smarter minds than us to yeah. break down. <laughs> The oh, gender sure. dynamics in his movies yeah the, which are like he's got a lot of he's got a lot of nudity from a lot of young women yeah in all of these movies and you're a little like again even something like Tommaso which is an art film it's not meant to be a genre exploitation film there's exploitive elements yeah a, and, you know is it him not you know and that has to be reckoned with yeah 100 percent. but it's it's a fascinating movie I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's worth a view. It's an interesting I, film. Yeah, genuinely. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's, I mean, it's very different from the other ones we've talked about. King of New York, Fear City, Miss 45, Bad, Bad Lieutenant, that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. um, very interesting, very interesting turn nonetheless. And a lot of people like this movie. This did, the, you know, the, the, the people who are fans of this movie really, really like this one. I know Sean Baker, who did Red Rocket, is a big fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I think in general, my guess is that Sean Baker is a big Abel Ferrara fan as well he kind of comes from the same yeah. school as the safties do it is interesting that yeah he sean baker does kind of like um he doesn't like yeah but i think the difference in abel and sean and this is no 
Sean rules. Like Red Rocket, yeah. one of my favorite movies last year. He's great. He's incredible. Uh, but I think like uh, one thing that Abel has over even the Safties, I would imagine, is that he's not an interloper. He's not an outsider <laughs> to this world. As he's like for uh, better or for worse. He was a part of it, or at the very least, he really feels a kinship to this. He's he's not group. only the president; he's also a client. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's like yeah, he's yeah. That and coffee. I think that there is kind of like a researchy documentary element to what the Safties and Sean Baker do. Very mm-hmm. lived in. They they. I mean, they are not you know they're no, not doing it in a surfacey kind of way by any not at all. Yeah, and I and I do think that you know. Josh Safdie seems to try to live a little bit more within that world. I, I don't think that... he's—I don't think he's that as far as able by any means was, mm-hmm. but um, I think that he does dabble in that world. He has a toe dipped in there. I think he's yeah. like—I think he's like a—he's like a twenty percent to Abel's like eighty percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's really interesting. And um, watching Tommaso, I couldn't help but think about, um, and then the ones that followed, Terrence Malick's recent work. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, Terrence Malick, who, you know, both obsessed with Christianity, Terrence mm-hmm. Malick and Abel Ferrara, but, and both looking for God and transcendence through mm-hmm. their art, um, kind of is like looking at himself and looking at his relationships and stuff like that. But in his kind of more dreamy kind of his version of dream logic mm-hmm. as well. And, the, you know, and all both their work, I think, can be argued and you could even throw david lynch in here although i think david lynch might be working in a different plane um this conversation is it total um indulgent bullshit or is it transcendently beautiful art yeah and you know what it might be and that's like, all to the eye of the beholder or yeah maybe both and it, it might be a little bit like i'm totally here for it i'm yeah, and, and i think the thing too is that willem dafoe um, even if it is bullshit, Willem Dafoe can deliver it with enough. Like he's one of the greatest actors alive. He brings and the depth helps. to it. <laughs> yeah. Like he makes the ending work for me. Like because yeah. it end the end. Yeah, the ending is wild, and I could see. Um, there's definitely a version of the ending where you look at it and you, and you sneak. It's like you know, really, you're ending this way. Mm-hmm. But man, when you see Willem Dafoe's face and but at simultaneously, the cinematic history behind it Willem Dafoe played Jesus Christ in yeah. the last temptation of Christ and was crucified early in his career too and um uh you know it, yeah and who knows and but I don't know I don't know why those are connected but it's you I don't well, know I don't know any movie fan who wouldn't be reminded of that and, um, and maybe well maybe it is like this weird you know maybe you know because you said that for a uh, for uh, and uh some Defoe have similar, you know, maybe there's a little bit of Defoe in the role too. I think so. It has I, I, to be. Abso- yeah. I absolutely think so. But another interesting thing too is that Abel Ferrara claims to be Buddhist these mm-hmm. days. And there's elements though in the movie where Defoe is meditating and they're going into some Buddhist elements, but he can't get there. And I think yeah. that's really honest too. Like he can't find, he wants to be like this like Zen, cool, clean living guy. Yeah. And he just, yeah, and he just can't. Well, like, like it's, he's just so filled. His history is too there for him. Well, that moment where like he's doing his like chant, and you see his face, and then you're literally watching his wife like walk into a room to cuck him, basically. Like you see like the the and it's like 
you know, is that what life is about? Like, if that is happening, being willing to accept that? Like, yeah. is that like, is it like, you know, is it like not having a reaction to your uh, perceived fears? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it is like a wild, it's a wild Yeah, and I think that that's like an interesting thing, too, because he's got this, all this exploitive stuff of women, but he's very, very honest in like the insecurities of men and how weak that is to think that way. A hundred percent. You know, and how Tommaso really is like, there's that part where he goes in the street to take out the garbage and with the lamp and stuff before their big oh, fight. Oh, yeah. And he just keeps walking and goes get coffee. And we were, we were, we were watching, I'm like, oh my God, he's so in his head that he just forgot. Like, it wasn't even purposeful that he left his wife and daughter on that corner and kept going. He just forgot they were there. Yeah. Like, it just didn't occur to him. He's so self involved. Uh... And that, what a moment. What a moment of like brutal honesty. Yeah. Especially it's, when it's like, you know, that's like, isn't that like, you know, God, never mind. I'm not going to say anything about Buddhism because I don't know anything about Buddhism. <laughs> so like, but like, you know, I feel like part of it's like just getting rid of the ego, right? Like you're trying to like get, yeah. I mean, and he's all ego. He can't. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I mean, even like the AA scenes, which are so good and Defoe's so great at telling mm-hmm. those, those stories are so engaging. But at the same time, you get vibes, and, and Ferrer doesn't even man, doesn't even cut to anybody there. If you cut to the looks on the people's faces in that room, I bet they all said this guy comes here every fucking week, or every day, and does a half hour story about how rad his times are as like a coke head director. Yeah, like like me all and the, Matt. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, totally. and like he and they're like even after his first story, like they cut back to like the head of the group, and oh, I guess our time's up. It's like yeah, he probably went on. For like an hour and took up the entire meeting yeah and ferrara is great at like not like slamming that down our throats but it just kind of gives you the impression that this is what this guy's like mm-hmm. and but he's but he, willem dafoe plays him so winningly and he does seem to be trying in some scenes <laughs> and all of the all of the three films the recent films too end with this like strangely like tacked on hopeful note mm-hmm like this one ends with very clearly oh, yeah. home video that Ferrara took of his daughter. Like dancing. Dancing. Yeah. Very. Yeah. yeah. That is such a, yeah. What an insane ending to this movie. No, and not the craziest one. No. We'll get to that in just a moment here. What the craziest <laughs> ending was, but it's this movie is freaking thrilling to see though, this guy. And he's made all of these movies in like quick one year successions with each other. Mm-hmm. So keep it up, man. That's what I'm saying. Let's let's keep digging into this strange zone. Yeah. Because in 2020, he made a film called Siberia. And I don't know if you had a chance to watch this one. I didn't unfortunately did not. I this was not part of our slate. Yeah, but also, but we have to really quickly, I just want to keep in mind too for the audience that uh, during this movie, Siberia is kind of referenced throughout. Yes, this is very important. The film that Tommaso is designing and building is Siberia. Yes. In every scene in his um like uh production design and his storyboards is in siberia like it directly and like even the character name he's like clint does this well yeah. willem dafoe plays clint in siberia it's like which... you're getting a special features dvd like <laughs> like feature a feature special features from the siberia dvd intercut into the movie yeah and <laughs> but also like this is the funny thing is like I always make fun of like the interconnected universe of the Marvel movies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. <laughs> like, 
shit like this and Carl Ave can Oscar. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm like all in force. <laughs> no, no, give me more of this insanity, please. The weird travails of like a mid fifties to sixties year old man just upset. <laughs> and Jen Rob, she's like, "Do you think they'd ever let a woman make a movie like Tommaso <laughs> about herself?" And I was like, uh, "I wish I want to see it." But let, uh, Jane, let oh my god, imagine like the insane Jane Campion movie. Yeah, where she and I, got yeah. I do have this theory though that um, it's because of due to privilege yeah. and the patriarchy, men's fears are internal fears, mm. whereas women and other marginalized groups beyond straight white men live in external fear. Their fears can be identified. Whereas men are just kind of afraid of dying or afraid of their wife leaving them or something. Yeah, like, like yeah, my, <laughs> they turned my wife left me into a genre. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Tommaso's an Academy Academy guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's hanging out with Al Pacino. He's hanging out with, yeah. uh, with, with Ivan. <laughs> yeah. But I, but so that's why I think it's like, you know, if a woman or a gay person or a black person or whatever makes a move about fears, it's very, you know, real fears yeah <laughs> like, they're like, not they're yeah. not these strange internalized like navel gazy fears yeah i mean but you know what there's still like some like i feel like swan song kind of has notes of this yes and i thought i love and i really i mean big fan of yeah. swan song and i That's- liked what i liked about yeah and i think i know it's it's obviously it's possible but i think yeah no, just, I, um, know, I know i know i know it's just it's just, it's just it's less it's less frequent it's like we'd yeah. like to get we'd like to get to a place in society where everyone can be self-indulgent and yeah easy regardless of who you are exactly. <laughs> is what we're getting at here we <laughs> like, want yeah more it should not equal. be privileged artistic choice because i'll watch any version of this movie exactly yeah equal opportunity navel gazing that's yeah we we support opportunity equal opportunity selfishness (laughs) yeah exactly i want like there are so many so many weird and we all have these guys oh yeah no exactly a hundred percent yeah and um but these are you know get back to abel here um i highly recommend if you guys who are listening you guys and gals and folks who are listening Mm-hmm. are hooked on anything we're talking about here <laughs> watch them all is my yes. recommendation uh i watched siberia before tomaso and i'm going to yeah, lifelong regret because i wish i'd seen siberia after tomaso and put it together like oh my god it's tomaso's movie tomaso he's back He's back, a Tommaso story. And he's playing the part of Defoe. It's just like the added like textures and elements and weird things that are like unexplainable mm-hmm. about all of this just makes it more exciting. 100%. Like, I can't explain fucking 80% mm-hmm. of what he's going after the further along we get in these movies, especially in zeros and ones. I don't, I'm not entirely certain what zeros and ones is about, even. But yeah, I'm and excited. Siberia goes in that route too. It's like basically the plotline is Clint, an English speaker, has abandoned his former life and now runs a bar in Siberia where most of his few guests do not speak English. He suffers from hallucinations and embarks on a dog sled journey to a nearby cave where uh-huh. he confronts his dreams and memories, including of his father, brother, former wife, and son trying to make sense of his life. <laughs> Whoa. 
<laughs> you know? A lot going on there. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I'm curious. I want to see what's up. Yeah. So, if you, I mean, if you're, buy, you know, buy the ticket, take the ride, man. Because mm-hmm. we're going to get to, we got to get now to the most recent picture, our kind of fourth bonus of today. 2021's zeros and ones. Oh, Lord. Let's do an it. Italian, an American Italian thriller. And I did some air quotes there. Um, <laughs> and if you look at the cover of the poster, it's Ethan Hawke looking very serious with some explosions and some soldiers around him. Yeah. Uh, the tagline is, it's always deadliest before the dawn. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what this movie's about. Yeah. This is definitely like, yeah. We, yeah like, I'm not going to lie. Uh, just if I were to... If I didn't know who Abel was, and I just saw this poster, and I saw that tagline, the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh, this must be like a Tom Clancy novel they haven't adapted yet. Yeah. <laughs> or like yeah. a Dan Brown, something like, yeah. Like, uh, like Ethan Hawke's taking a paycheck to pay for a weird movie. Yeah. You don't realize this is the weird movie. <laughs> yeah, this is the, yeah, this is the, the, the flight of fancy, folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, written and directed by Abel Ferrara. Should be noted, cinematography by the great Sean Price Williams, who oh, actually cool. did all of the Safdie Brothers movies except for Uncut Gems. He's done all of the Alex Ross Perry movies. He is probably pretty much the premier gutter poet cinematographer go, you know, of New York guy going right now. He's awesome. I yeah, I just I'll say I just saw her smell recently. Like it was a movie I started once, couldn't finish it. So glad I was able to watch it, try to watch it. It's he it's ruled. A good movie. It's it a rules. Good movie. Like yeah. Elizabeth Moss, uh, Moss is so insane in she that movie. She should have been nominated for Best Actress at the Academy. Yeah, 110%. And yeah. probably should have won. Yeah. <laughs> well, it been, I don't know who won that year. Yeah. Uh, might have been my favorite movie of. Uh, tw- I'd have to go through all the 2018 movies, but that could have been my favorite that, that year. Excellent film. Excellent yeah. film. Um, stars Ethan Hawke. Um, the Ferraras are back. Ooh. Both wife and daughter are back yep. in this one playing interesting roles. Um, in essence, this movie oh. is about two brothers. One is a soldier of some sort. The other is a revolutionary of some sort. Yep. Uh, something has happened that has led to... Um, this was shot in the middle of the quarantine, but mm-hmm. it's never really addressed on what disease is going around, but people do say I'm negative and wear masks and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Rome is bizarrely and uncomfortably empty which is actually quite cool yeah um how it looks uh the soldier brother is looking for the revolutionary brother who may or may not be alive um and kind of goes on this journey into the dark night of the soul in this strange world that might be sci-fi uh might, might not be at all um there's weird sex stuff, as you would expect from every able for our movie. Um, Ethan Hawke is deathly committed to the entire thing, which yep. is great. He's always wonderful. And it opens with him pitching the audience in seemingly a Kickstarter video <laughs> to support the film Zeros and Ones and saying, oh, I saw the w- recent work he did with Willem Dafoe and I wanted to get in the mix. Uh, yeah, you get the sense that Ethan uh, went into this uh, hoping that he could become like his ne- the next muse. Yeah, I think he wanted, but I think he wanted a Tommaso. Oh, and yeah. What he for got sure. was a 
JJ. I'm not gonna lie. There's like a there's like a um, a look on his face at the second part, like the second uh, video. So, so the entire key to this movie really is the final couple minutes of this movie. So the movie ends, and it ends again with this like society and kids playing and stuff like that. Like Abel's, like it tries to another like strange happy ending. Cuts to black. Then it cuts to Ethan Hawke, who takes off his jacket. He's filming from his computer on like a Zoom, it seems. Yeah. Takes off his jacket. He goes, well, I've just watched the movie. <laughs> and then he goes into this analysis of what he thought the movie was about. <laughs> and he says, thanks for watching. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. And at first I thought like, oh, it's like one of these things. It's like a rental. And they just taped Ethan Hawke doing like a little introduction, like saying, yeah. hey, you know, I'm proud of this movie or whatever. But the way it closes, you're like, oh, no, that's part of the entire package these is this intro and this closer with Ethan Hawke as himself discussing the movie. It's weird. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like that's as much as I can probably tell you all about this movie. Um, Patrick, what did you think? Uh, I watched this at like seven. I woke up at like seven in the morning. In the morning as well. watched, the yeah. I uh, said in the morning, I was like, you know, should I get coffee beforehand? You know what? I'll be fine. I'll be able to, Probably should have gotten like it is like it definitely is fitting, I think, to watch this movie kind of tired and like in a dreamlike yeah. state. Cause it, you did the vibe that this movie this movie could have been made uh by Abel uh by uh by Abel while he was like on Ambien. Like this there's is like also him. A, we should note there's also a plot to blow up the Vatican. Yeah. Um uh, which yeah. gets blown up in the most uh not since uh <laughs> it's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. Not since uh, was it the killed Captain Alex that like Ugandan action like with that like it was that that level of CGI explosion. Yeah. It's totally like it was made with like it's like TikTok uh, special effects. It's it's truly wild. Yeah. And also does not really fa- like there's not that much of an impact. It just sort of happens and then like stuff continues. Yeah, there's no real result to any of it. Yeah. So yes, again, watch it at six a.m. Yeah, see, see what happens. It's <laughs> like, and there's like interesting, like there's some interesting like moments, like there's some cool stuff. Like I like, um, I like the whenever, uh, Ethan was having a conversation with, I think the actor's name is Stephen Gerowitz. Yeah, uh, yeah. he and who I've seen, I think I've seen him in like a, like a mumblecore movie. Yeah, in the he's past. um, he's part of that kind of universe, the mumblecore world. Yeah, like he's kind of like his like I guess he's like kind of his his like Q or something or like his like handler i'm not quite sure what their relationship is but he's is. also playing himself maybe yeah could be playing himself it's it's wild it is um and there's a moment where like yeah the soldiers come in to like capture uh jj i think is his name and uh and steven's just like you fucking assholes fuck you and they shoot the computer which i found really really funny yeah. and then they then they act like he was killed <laughs> and i'm like oh wait did he get killed like did the was he inside the computer like what's the i don't yeah. know yeah like, uh, yeah it's very there's there's zero explanation no it's very and like i think this is definitely a movie where like you go. It's like King in God, maybe it's not. It's not like King in New York at all. But like it is. But <laughs> but uh. But like there's like you go in. Like this is a vibe. Like this is like a movie that you have to go in just accepting. Like it's not going to make sense. It's not going to be very clear. Um, you'll have some insane moments. Like you'll see someone get 
like you know waterboarded in this movie which is kind of wild Ethan uh, Hawke ranting about how no one's willing to set themselves on fire yeah that part was insane uh, awesome was yeah probably my favorite part of the movie <laughs> yeah oh definitely that's the part that stood out to me the most uh there's um the part where he has to impregnate the Russian lady yeah that's insane I don't yeah. I still don't understand I don't yeah I think that's that's where the movie I think becomes pure dream logic to me where like that just must have been like um, he Abel must have had that dream one night and like this is how he he made like this movie might be him like just dealing with demons this is like I feel like we're in yeah, a part of it and maybe it's how he felt about being up quarantined in what may have felt like an apocalypse to him yeah I mean the moment the part where like they're checked I love the moment where like they're testing the temperature. It's like in the first few minutes of the movie, they test the guy's temperature and it's like, you know, like, like the little temperature gun thing. And it looks like they're going to like execute a dude. Mm-hmm. Like he just has it. Like, it looks like he's like, it, like it really looks like he, I thought it was a gun initially. And, and this one was shot November, 2020. Mm-hmm. So, um, Oh yeah. You know, pretty, you know, there, it has this vibe too, that he, Ethan Hawke and Sean Price Williams and any American that was involved in it was like illegally shipped to Italy. Oh, yeah. like, in... And that there's no permits whatsoever. They are shooting in the middle of the night and it feels very rebellious, which is exciting. Yeah, it, yeah. there's like a haunted, yeah, it feels, it's haunting. It is like truly like, and it, yeah, and it does feel like we're back to like Abel on the fringes. Truly like uh, e- him against the world. Yeah, and I think that that's, the big takeaway here like i was trying to come up with some sort of overriding like oh this is how he feels about covid and that this is what i don't know if it's clear enough to get there but what i think is exciting is that he's he's still like going crazy and pulling no punches and he's still like in the mix he's still in the game like and he's still exploring and still trying to see what's possible as an artist and be challenging as all hell a hundred percent i think and i think too that there's like he's like really you know he has like that moment in the end where he's like the world is the hiding place of god that's yeah. what jesus said like he like you know like you feel like he probably read a lot of heavy shit during during covid he's trying to like see how that like all this heady shit like kind of like fits into his personal cosmology yeah <laughs> yeah like um and uh also, we, we can't, like, uh, forget that, like, Italy during... I feel like Italy was, like, the country that we mo- that, that was most talked about in the beginning of the... Um, yeah. Like, there and was he a was, lot He was of, there yeah. when... Yeah, because I remember people were really... It was really sweeping Italy. Yeah, it was... It was, was... The hot, it was the world hotspot for probably right around the exact time he was writing this movie. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. like, yeah... Um, you know, I, is this like a movie I'm ever going to watch again? Probably not. Uh, I think it's interesting, though. And I think, like, uh, you know, I, I respect a director trying to do something different or trying to, like, uh, I don't know. It doesn't, it, this doesn't feel like, um, it doesn't, uh, this is his vision. This is a uniquely him trying to exercise some ghosts from his past or like him trying to deal with how fucked mm-hmm. up the world is at the time how the world was at the time of him directing it and uh yeah and that's i i, I i'm always here for that yeah yeah he's um 
he's working stuff out in real time. And if you care, and I guess it just, if you find that indulgent, this, none of this is for you at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> if you find it kind of fascinating, then you're going to, then you're, you're in and you're probably in for the, as long as he's going to keep going. Um, here. Um, I should note too, uh, Siberia was inspired by Carl Jung's The Red Book. I don't know if oh. you're familiar with The Red Book. No. Um, the, it was created during this period of time in which Jung was really deeply in it. Mm-hmm. And it's all of his dreams and fantasies. And it's really cool. It's wild. And it's the it's super strange like some people feel it's like a period of like creative illness and or a simple madness when he put this together but um i rented it from the library like six times like 15 years ago i was kind of obsessed with it i just read that and it does yes siberia and this recent work does kind of feel like you're trying to dig into all of the realms and corners of your subconscious. That's why, like, yeah, that's why they said that the movie feels like it truly does feel like at portions of this movie that like Abel Ferreira is sleep directing. Yeah. Like he but just not, like, not, not, not lazily. No, not <laughs> lazily. No, it doesn't no, not like yeah, a hundred percent not lazily. I, I truly mean like like he took Ambien, he woke up, and like this is like him dreaming about direct and like he's in his heart is in it but like you're just seeing like like the his raw thoughts being put on the screen and he's relying on cinema as a visual medium rather than trying to explain everything that you're the vibes that you're feeling from these images yeah are supposed to like give you a feeling of what's actually happening in the movie rather than being explained or like having story take you down that road. It's like the part where Defoe is meditating and his wife comes in with that hunk behind him. You're like, you know, this isn't real, but at the same time, it kind of presents a reality of what you're supposed to feel in that moment. Yeah. Like what he's, you're showing, you're seeing what he's thinking. Yeah. These are like the raw unprocessed thoughts that would usually get, later on refined into a more logical film yeah and they're embarrassing <laughs> and vulnerable which is yeah. which makes them interesting yeah and you know on that note i mean he he's been on fire recently you know yeah. all of this took place since 2019 by all accounts there could be another one this year mm-hmm. called padre pio um this one abel <laughs> still is not is unafraid because uh, by all accounts Shia LaBeouf is going to be playing the lead in this movie. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> and so I don't know, man. And it's about <laughs> some sort of Catholic priest or saint or something like that. Um so, yeah, yeah, Canyons vibe, big Canyons vibes. Yeah. So uh he is not gonna stop. He's gonna be every single movie he's gonna put out until his final movie is gonna be provocative. Mm-hmm. There's I just isn't in him. And that's why we're interested in him. You know, it's these aren't yeah. clean movies. These are these can be pretty rough movies. There's stuff in it that we might not even agree with in a lot of these movies. But I'd say overall, that's what makes him so fucking interesting. Yeah, he's a he's like a he's a an outsider. He's a weird guy. He is simultaneously like highbrow and lowbrow. Like he'll mm-hmm. you know uh. 
uh, wax philosophy about St. Francis in one scene and then, you know, blow up the Vatican with the weirdest scene, like N64 level CGI in the next scene. And then I'm here for it. It rules. Yeah. You know, we're here for it. We're with we ride or die with Abel Ferrara. Yeah. And, you know, thank him for his services in the world of as a cinematic soldier, as, as one of his, <laughs> his former arch nemesis, Werner Herzog, would put it. Because, <laughs> of course, Werner Herzog did a bad version of Bad Lieutenant as well. And when asked about it when the movie came out, Abel Ferrara says, I hope everyone involved burns in hell. Damn. <laughs> hey, that rules. I love it. Uh, oh, we yeah, we even talk about that. I showed up drunk on Conan, and um, to promote the funeral, and Conan said um, it was the worst guest ever. <laughs> He's he just he he his energy is crazy. He is like a you look at a picture of this guy. He he looks like he he has lived a life. This man. He looks like the movies that he makes yeah exactly yeah and then and no shade that's no. just i think he would i think he would agree yeah i think he would agree too he's <laughs> like Tommaso. he's doing a lot of soul searching but yeah hope you enjoyed that little deep dive digression into the world the dark gutter world of abel ferrara uh next week we are back at it yeah second round wesley snipes two 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 good ones. Sports mm-hmm. back in sports. We've got Major League versus White Men Can't Jump. I'm looking forward to rewatching both of them. Yeah. I, know, I don't know about you. I'm excited too. I can hey look, uh, you know, White Men Can't Jump might be uh could be like the the one uh it could be our champion. I think that movie has a pretty uh good shot of making it all the way, but yeah. Major League, it's an underdog. You never Major know. League, yeah, like the like the Cleveland Indians themselves in the film Major League. Yeah. Who knows? There's a big, big banner of both Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes naked that they're taking off parts of their clothes as they keep getting wins as they try and get to the playoffs to take take on White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> um, before we head out this week, I want to quick say say real quickly too. Um, news came in this week that uh, Bruce Willis of Death Becomes Her is ill. Oh yeah, and uh, big ups. We love the guy. A hundred percent. Huge. I uh, hope he uh, hope he's surrounded by family and have a nice time. Yeah, hundred percent. Same. Yeah, like a kind of. Uh, it's crazy that he's never. I hope like um, he he deserves some sort of recognition. I think. Yeah, never me. been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, um, and you know people are like, you know, people have been reflecting on him over the weekend. It's true. I mean. Dude brought a one-of-a-kind swagger when he was at his peak. Yeah. And he was fun. He was adventurous. I mean, he was a huge star. He did not have to do Pulp Fiction. No, I think, yeah, I think there was, like, a point where, like, you could, you could make the argument that Bruce Willis was, like, the most, was, like, the biggest celebrity in the world. There was probably, like, a moment. Yeah. He was huge. I mean, he is, he, he owns an original Planet Hollywood Letterman jacket, along with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. He was that Mm -hmm. big. And yeah, in recent years, you know, they, you know, hasn't has, you know, and obviously with the revelation of his health issues, it makes some more sense. Yeah. But he I, hasn't had as big of roles and that kind of stuff, but that does not take away how good and how many cool movies he was in. Yeah. And, and also like, yeah, it, it kind of like, yeah, it, I'm glad that he was able to kind of secure a nest egg. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, honestly. He, and it, I think, 
I think he's, he, he's got a family that really, really loves him. And I think that at the end of the day, if you asked him, that's, that's what matters more than for, any stupid sure. Oscar nomination or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, fuck that shit. Also, yeah. like the fact that I even like, I, I almost regret even saying that, like, cause who gives a shit? They're dumb. Well, I mean, They're, like, they fucking yeah, suck. He's like, okay, <laughs> I didn't get an Oscar nomination. I was in Die Hard and I have a great family. Yeah, exactly. What more, what more do you want out of the world? <laughs> yeah. Then uh, this, yeah, this bullshit fucking statue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we wish him the best. He rules. He's great. Uh, we hope to get another one of his movies real soon. Mm-hmm. I do actually believe we're not going to say which one it is or anything like that, but I think it's sometime in September or October we have one scheduled. Oh. That's right, folks. We are that that we are that scheduled out. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are good for the year of 2022 in terms of scheduling. Well, yes, we, yeah, we, 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 we have it planned. So no, don't worry about, don't worry about us. I know if you're losing sleep over us, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but for Patrick, I'm Don. We'll see you next week with more Wesley Snipes action on the Academy Academy. Uh, bye-bye. Forgot my key, you had to ring my bell My mama came first, she said, who the hell?